On my fourth day as a public relations professional, I walked into a meeting with one of my new bosses, a prominent local politician, and insulted him to his face. Today is your lucky day. Had you walked in half of the other offices here, you'd be walking out with your pink paper right now here today. On that day, September 7th, 2012, my career in PR and marketing should probably have ended. And it very nearly did. Now, I'm going to be the first to admit that then, at 27 years old, I was a little bit of a hotshot. I had just landed a major step up from the trenches of broadcast journalism, a job as a public relations supervisor at Milwaukee City Hall. And that shoot-from-the-hip-attitude-gut-instinct mentality that had helped me get so far in my career was about to become a major frickin' liability. As I would come to learn over the next five years, the field of politics is strewn with landmines and should be navigated with caution and careful forethought. But before I learned about those landmines, I stepped on one. In that place where grudges are held and honed over years, something unbelievable happened next. I got to keep my job and even became friends with the guy that I had recklessly insulted. And in this era of cable news palace intrigue and revolving door personality politics, I think that's a pretty remarkable story of leadership and forgiveness that we can all learn from. So in this remastered early episode of Lead Balloon, you'll hear me sweat through a retelling of that incident with the man I insulted himself, moment by cringe-inducing moment. I'm Dusty Weiss from PodCamp Media. This is Lead Balloon a podcast about gripping stories from the world of PR marketing and branding, told by the well-meaning communications professionals who lived them. Thank you for tuning in. As I'm looking ahead to next year, trying to cipher out whether, which, and how to tell new stories on this podcast, you can do me a huge favor right now by offering some feedback. More than 20,000 of you have tuned in and listened this year, and for that, I thank you. But so far, only one of you has taken the listener survey that I need to help plan and maybe even monetize this show. And that is discouraging. So please check out podcampmedia.com survey or click the link in the episode description so I can get a better idea about how to tell better stories that are more relevant to you. It just takes a couple of minutes. That's podcampmedia.com survey. And to the one one person who filled out that survey in the last two months? If you send me your address, you are getting a care package in the mail there, friend. But anyway, just about four years ago, I launched this podcast as a venue to celebrate the old war stories and the characters that make PR, marketing, and stratcom such an invigorating field in which to work. And people have really opened up to us over the years. We've had some frank honest discussions about job trauma, PTSD, behind-the-scenes insights on world-famous events and campaigns from the history books. And through it all, I have tried to serve as a storyteller, not be the story myself. I'm not injecting my personality or my opinions into things, at least not that much. But there was that one time all the way back in episode two of this podcast when I made an exception to that policy. And since I have learned a lot about podcasting since then, namely how to do it better, and since it's such a great story, I figured it was about time to revisit this one. So how did I make such a drastic miscalculation so early in my PR and marketing career? 
as to nearly get fired in my first week? Why did I say something so irredeemably stupid? And why did the people who controlled my fate let me keep my job? Well, the story requires a little bit of a setup. And since I can't very well interview myself, I brought in a ringer. And the name is Ken, Ken Laviska. I work at Belter & Lincoln. It's a full-service ad agency in Milwaukee's Third Ward. I do some public relations and social media work for them there. Ken and I first got to know each other after I moved to Milwaukee in 2012. But it turns out we had a lot of friends and colleagues in common. We had both cut our teeth at the Portage Daily Register, a small-town daily newspaper in central Wisconsin that's come up a few times on this podcast since then. It's where I worked until 2008, and Ken started there shortly after I had left. The place was an incredible opportunity for young hotshot reporters to rack up some bylines, learn from a talented, experienced staff, and gain valuable experience in the field. Now, of course, the other side of that coin, while you're a reporter, a lot of times you hear about, you know, the dark side and PR. Ironically, of course, we both found our way there. I understand that when you did join the dark side and, and went PR, uh, that you did something kind of stupid early on in your career, Dusty. I'd kind of like to hear about it. Uh, well, kind of is an understatement of sorts. Uh, <laughs> this was during my first week as a public relations professional, and it very well could have been my last week as a public relations professional. Uh, the thing that I did was so colossally stupid that they would have been within their right to fire me on the spot for it. And somehow I was able to get out of this situation and not only keep my job, but uh, work in that job at Milwaukee City Hall for five years, but also make amends with the people that are involved in <laughs> this particular story. But it, it sort of it takes me back to that young hotshot reporter mentality, which I'm sure that you can relate to. Uh, having come from the field of classic print journalism yourself. Mm -hmm. I was 21 when I started at the Portage Daily Register as an intern, and I stayed in journalism until I was 27 years old. Taking that skill set that you learn as a journalist and applying it to the world of public relations and marketing and strategic communications, it's a natural leap, but there are also some things that are completely different. And one of those I was about to learn was the degree of tact and caution that you use when speaking with people. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, it was a little bit different, huh? As a young reporter, being, for lack of a better word, sassy was, <laughs> uh, it, it was to my benefit mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, I was paid to not respect authority figures. And so learning to temper that and rein it in was tricky. So let me ask you, Dusty, why haven't I ever heard this story before, with, especially with our similar paths that we've had? It just seems like something that would naturally come up at some point. That's a good question. I can't say that this is a story I'm particularly proud of. <laughs> I will say that it is a war story that I've told before because it's in in that sort of Shakespearean way where comedy equals tragedy plus time. <laughs> it's actually quite funny, but it's also not something that you run around shouting about from the mountaintops where, oh my God, 
you got to hear about the stupidest thing that I ever did. <laughs> I should have been fired. <laughs> so I need to preface this story by saying this isn't something that I am proud of. And the reason that I am telling it now is twofold. One, it's kind of funny. <laughs> Two, there are some important lessons in there that I think that other young hotshots who are getting into the field of public relations and marketing and strategic communications can benefit from. And that's why I'm telling this story. This is not euphoric recall. I'm not <laughs> proud of what I'm doing. There are lessons to be gleaned from my youthful idiocy. So, all right. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you set the stage? I, I'm in, I'm intrigued. I'm hearing things like colossal failure. You know, a colossal mistake. Tell me, Dusty, what happened? After leaving the Portage Daily Register, I spent a number of years working for WTDY Radio in Madison. I became a, a CBS Radio News correspondent covering the Capitol protests there and was able to parlay that into a job at WIOD AM in Miami, Florida. One of the greatest news towns that there is out there. <laughs> but I got to a point where I was ready to get into a line of work uh, where the hours and the compensation and the stress levels were a little bit more sane. I, I started looking for work back in Wisconsin and found what, by all appearances, was a perfect fit. Uh, it was a job as the public relations supervisor at Milwaukee City Hall. Uh, I would also be called upon, in addition to all the typical public relations duties, to host a TV show, government access TV show, so I could take my broadcast skills and, and put those to work, too. It was... Uh, it seemed like a really great job. And so I applied and was granted the job and uh, came to start on September 4th of 2012. It was the day after Labor Day and spent the week meeting new people, learning names and that sort of thing. At the end of that week, it was a Friday. I showed up at the office that day and my boss, uh, Bill Arnold, uh, who's also a former newspaper guy, uh, called me into his office and Bill had me sit down across from him and he said, all right, uh, we are going to take and we're going to introduce you to uh, your first one-on-one -on -one meeting with a member of the Common Council. Um, as the public relations supervisor there, I served 15 members of the Milwaukee Common Council, the city council, as it's more commonly known. Mm -hmm. And this was going to be my first face-to-face -face with one of them, a fellow by the name of Alderman Jim Bull. Uh, Alderman Bull served uh, at that point, had been on the council for three terms, 12 years, and went on to serve um, many more years until very recently when he uh, took a, a job with the mayoral administration. Uh, Bill kind of started filling me in about Alderman Bull's background, and then he asked me this fateful question. Bill said to me, say, are you familiar with the controversy over the fluoridation of Milwaukee's water. And I looked at him and I said, well, I'm not necessarily familiar with the local controversy, but I know that when I was working at the Portage Daily Register, I covered the Poinette Village Board from time to time. And one time they voted to take the fluoride out of their water. And like with many of my old reporter days war stories, when I tell that story about the Poinette Village Board, you kind of set it up. You know, it's an old war story, and so you tell it the same way every mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And so that was the setup. And then the punchline was next. But before I could deliver the punchline <laughs> to Bill, his phone rang. 
And he kind of did one of these. What? Hello? Oh, okay. Hey, Dusty, this is going to be a minute. Uh, why don't you pop back in here in a little while? And then he wound up on that phone call right up until 9 a.m. when we were to have our meeting with Alderman Bull. <laughs> I've got some ideas on where this goes next. <laughs> you're, you're a bright guy, Ken. <laughs> My picture of the world at this point was incomplete. <laughs> I thought I had a pretty good handle on things. <laughs> and so <laughs> you see where this is going. Oh, oh, oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> but I want to hear you say it. <laughs> <laughs> so Bill and I, we went downstairs, wandered into Jim Bull's office and behind this large oaken desk overlooking Water Street and the Pabst Theater uh, sat this uh, very normal-looking upper-middle-class college-educated guy. Hair combed nicely, uh, stylish glasses, stylish suit, friendly face. And uh, so we came in. I shook his hand. Uh, Bill and I sat down. Um, Alderman Bowles' assistant uh, joined us in the room as well. And we got to talking, just formalities, kind of getting to know each other. And then Bill, having not heard the conclusion of my story, turned to me and said, Oh, and you know, Dusty used to work for the newspaper in Portage and covered it when the Poinette Village Board voted to take fluoride out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> and without any consideration, without taking a moment to read the room, without having done any research into <laughs> Jim Bowl or his background, I blurted out the punchline <laughs> to that story. You had been waiting to deliver this punchline. I didn't get to earlier, right? <laughs> and now you had more than just one in your audience. <laughs> and so I looked at this person, one of 15 who control the budget of the city of Milwaukee, ergo control the future of my job. <laughs> and I said, yeah, actually, I did. Uh, the Poinette Village Board voted to take fluoride out of the water, and then two months later, they had a recall election, and they all got voted out of office. And I guess that's what you get for being uninformed on the internet. <laughs> If it's not obvious by now, <laughs> Alderman Bull had sponsored similar legislation in Milwaukee. And, and what, what did the councilman's face look like at this point? <laughs> so, you know how, here's what I liken it to. Do you remember uh, Punked, the show with Ashton Kutcher oh, yeah. on MTV? That's a good one. And, and how when people were punked by Ashton Kutcher... Sometimes they would get that wry smile on their face like, I think you're messing with me, but I'm not sure you are. Mm -hmm. And so that was the look that was on Jim Bull's face to start with, was this, this smile of sort of waiting for Ashton to jump out of the closet and be like, you got punk. <laughs> right, right. And for me, 
the entire world slowed down into Matrix bullet time. <laughs> it was like a slow motion car accident. My old boss, Bill Arnold, remembers it pretty much the same way. After all, he was right there with me in the wreckage. I was like saying to myself, oh no, this isn't happening. And then, you know, looking at Alderman Bull and seeing his face get extremely red in a very, very quick moment. I think there was that split second where he's like, is this, is, is he serious? What is this? And he couldn't make heads or tails of it. Um, and again, by that time, it was too late. Right, <laughs> but, right. That but, damn it broke him. <laughs> I, and, and it's funny to me that you describe it as having happened in slow motion because as I look back at it, I have very vivid memories of that immediate moment when I said it and I looked at him and I smiled like, hey, look at me, I made a funny joke. And he had this, he had this very small, wry smile on his face. And that smile just kind of was like watching the setting sun. It just disappeared. And then you're right. His, his face just got redder and redder. And in my mind, this played out over like 30 seconds of dead silence. I don't think it was that long. I think that was my perception of it. But I remember having enough time to look at Jim and wonder, why is he not laughing? And then to look over at you and see you sitting there mortified. And to look back at Jim and notice that his face was starting to turn a little bit red. Look over at Todd, Jim's assistant, who was also sitting there mortified. And this dawning realization in my mind of, oh, I did something very, very bad here. In the weeks that followed, I would replay that scene over and over again in my head. The details are indelibly etched in my memory. And then, well, Alderman Bull gave me a bit of a piece of his mind. And that's where things get hazy in my recollection. I know that he really let me have it. I know that I apologized profusely and sincerely. And I know that I followed up immediately with an apology email. And then for months, I walked on eggshells. When I had finally worked up the nerve to even talk to Jim again, I silently begged that he had forgotten all about it, even though I knew he hadn't. But he was cool with it. He didn't bring it up, and neither did I. I knew that I had to earn this guy's respect even more so than with any of the other council members, and I put my back into that work. And in time, I came to really enjoy working for Jim Bull. I respected him as an elected official, and even eventually as a friend. But we didn't talk about that morning again for seven years, until this moment in 2019. I think that there are some important morals to this story that are worth telling. Uh, so I, uh, I appreciate your, uh, coming here to, uh, retell it oh. with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious what your version is going to be here. <laughs> your memory versus mine. I'm sitting with Jim at my basement bar and we're having a couple of spotted cows, but that is not helping my nerves as much as I hoped it'd be. And I am actually a little bit more uncomfortable than I thought I'd be during this conversation, but I am still curious to hear this story from Jim's perspective. I remember, um, you were coming in and, and Bill Arnold came knocking on the door and he said, uh, Jim, I, I want to introduce you to, uh, our new hire here in the, the public relations office here. Uh, we've got a new number two that I'm bringing in and I want to introduce him to you. We have a little bit of that small talk and 
I don't remember how it got to it, but Bill, oh, Bill, Bill mentioned out of the blue, you know, Jim, Jim's a little more active on policy issues. In fact, he just recently was, uh, took a really active role working on an issue on, on fluoride in water. <laughs> so that was my memory here. So immediately upon Bill saying that, I think you immediately jumped to the conclusion that I was on one side of that issue versus another and proceeded to kind of take from that. This is my opening. And I'm going so to dazzle I will, him with my wit. I will dazzle him with my wit. And among other things, I think that there may have been an insult in there like, uh, oh, I like to think that the word was idiot here. Like, the, boy, those idiots, you uh, working on legislation, boy, there's those idiots out there trying to take fluoride out of water. I didn't use the term <laughs> idiot. I didn't use the term idiot. What, what I can was, actually, I can tell you the what exact What was the term? Thing. I'm curious. So here's, I, I, here's the part of the story that you probably never heard. I don't know if you've ever been in a position to relive the biggest mistake of your career with the person that you insulted in the process, but I can tell you that it is an uncomfortable situation. I rehashed the routine for Jim, but that fateful punchline still falls flat. And I guess that's what you get for being uninformed on the internet. Okay. And I said those words. Yes, yes, yes. And I, so that I, that was my recollection as as essentially being an idiot, but uh, it was not it, a smart thing for it, me to say. Uninformed and idiot probably uh, go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <sighs> now I don't know if you remember this, and maybe this is just my memory wanting to like replay this. You, 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 I think that I actually wanted, and I don't know if you remember this, I, that I wanted to engage you so. What is it that, uh, you know, you think is uninformed or whatever else? So I kind of pushed you a little bit further on that, oh, uh, just God, to see, you? yes, just <laughs> to kind of see, you know, so what is it that you do know here, you know, uh, on that, on this issue? Just to hand me a shovel and let me and, dig my grave. And at, you know, you proceeded to go on a little bit and right away, Bill kind of like put his <laughs> arm on your like shoulder for a second, which, which. My recollection was, gave you a pause, like, what am I doing wrong here, possibly? <laughs> so, I, you know, it was like, I was wanting, willing to, like, hand you a little bit of rope and just see how much further you wanted to go on this. What, what went through your mind when I said that incredibly stupid, stupid thing? Um, I don't remember if... You know, I actually made a comment to you after, you know, Bill kind of like put you on on, on pause. Mm -hmm. um, I know I turned a little red and I felt a little heat under the collar because, you know, one of the things that, that, that you didn't know is I actually spent about a year and a half of researching this. And I actually would come home at night and spend hours at times, hours, multiple nights a week. And over the course of a year and a half, I read... It would be hundreds of articles, dozens of medical studies, uh, on and on and on and on and on. The hearing on that was about six or seven hours. I had all sorts of experts and, you know, it was countered by experts on the other side. I mean, you know, it, it's a contentious issue. It, it is what it is. It was for me, it, it was something that I was very reluctant to do. My wife was just all in. My wife uh, was an RN, left nursing went into holistic health and actually, you know, does that for a living. And 
she was the one that actually turned me on to this. And, you mm-hmm. know, when she first did, I probably did somewhat close, not as big a, a, a foot job in the mouth here that, that you did, but oh, no. <laughs> I probably did, you know, the somewhat dismissive until, you know, my wife looked at me and it's like, well, how much do you really know here, Jim? And honestly, the, the, the more that I actually saw, the more I thought, wow, you know, there, there, there literally is more to this. So it, for me, having done all that, it's something that you really do not want to approach as an alder or, or any other elect official. This is actually going full grain against what is the prevailing wisdom and status quo and, and everything else. If you want to get reelected, you avoid controversy and you pick issues that are favorable issues. I took on a crusade where I literally believe this, but I am putting everything on the line, reputation and other things, because the press and others are going to be attacking me and doing all these other things. That was, I am, I was the major breadwinner when my wife left her nursing degree. She was working part-time. We had daughters that had some health issues. And so, you know, I was the breadwinner and doing that was something that was really controversial and that I literally had to put it all out on the line. You caught some heat in the press. I, I did. And I told my wife afterwards, I'm like, Honey, I'm doing this because you, you, you got me. You got me hook, line, and sinker. I actually did all this research, but never again. <laughs> do not do this again to me. So it was, it, in one way, it was, it was a sore spot. And you know what? We wound up with a compromise where we had a reduction. It wasn't an elimination that I was seeking. It was a, it was a compromise, but we did wind up seeing a reduction. That being said, it wasn't all that far removed. And here you proceeded to tell yeah. me, you know, the uninformed. So all, all that is... To say, here you are going about your business while these wounds are still fresh. And this hotshot walks into your office and says something like that. And did you think that somebody had put me up to it and we were screwing with you or that I was trying to pick a fight on my first day in prison or what? You know, I thought, boy, he doesn't know what he's in for if he's shooting his mouth off here along the lines. I remember the words, I don't know who you think you are coming out of your mouth. I, I, and then no, things no, get what? a little I bit actually, blurry for me. Actually, no, that, that sounds a whole lot like me too. <laughs> I don't know who you think you are. <laughs> but according to you, you're speaking to the king of the uninformed. I don't know if you realized it, but my, but you were, your back was to my aide because my aide was actually in a little credenza because I had this bigger office, you know, by this point. And my aide is, is like doing this like gym don't get started like thing to me. Was he, and was he trying to wave yes, you off? He was, he was trying oh to God. wave me off because I remember that after, after a little bit of, uh, and, and you read me the riot act appropriately. So I, I, I basically, Bill was bringing you his new puppy to meet and I basically popped a squat and pooped all over your floor. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and I remember that, you know, you lit into me a little bit. Finally, Todd Peterson over my left shoulder behind me stands up and says, Jim, he didn't know. And Bill, Bill, who is one of the best bosses I've ever had in my life, uh, Bill, who did not hold this incident against me, uh, in spite of the fact that he had every reason to, Bill grabbed me by the arm, yanked me out of my chair and said, well, Alderman Bull, thanks for your time. But We've you, got to get going see, and you let you get what back you, to what your you business. Do, what you maybe don't remember, though. Yes. So, so, you know, Todd was trying to get me and I was going... And Bill was actually allowing me to do it. In fact, you know, I, I talked with him afterward and he said, you needed to get this. What I will call is, is a little bit of reaming out. And I'm like, Todd, I get that. I, you know what? 
I, I'm going to tell you something, Dusty. Your name is Dusty, right? Today is your lucky day because I am going to actually forget that we had this conversation here and forget that you all but insulted me on your first day here on meeting me on the job. But I'm going to tell you something that will be a lesson for you and let this be something that you remember. In serving 15 people, you will be actually coming up and you will not know what position to have. You would be well served to shut your mouth and to, to not jump out and assume one thing or another on the issues because many other alders are not going to be so kind in, in, in actually forgiving this. And I'm going to forgive you and forget that this actually happened and actually allow your work before me to demonstrate itself for what it is. That being said, had you walked in half of the other offices here, you'd be walking out with your pink paper right now here today. I do remember that part. I remember it vividly. I remember you actually used a couple of specific names, which we won't repeat here. <laughs> uh, maybe other alders As here? a sign of respect. <laughs> if you had walked into Alderman XYZ's office and said that, you would be out on your ass right now. Yeah. But I also believe to this day that you're absolutely dead bang right about that. Uh, because there are people who have worked in that building who have considerably thinner skin. Uh, than you do. Of course, I didn't know when I walked out of Jim Bull's office that morning, but he is a man of his word. What I did know was that I had stepped in it. Bad. And perhaps that I had made an enemy for life. But just how close did I actually come to getting my pink slip and crashing out of career in public relations maybe forever? There's only one person who could tell me for sure. My former boss's boss, the confidant of all 15 members of the Milwaukee Common Council, the duly elected Milwaukee City Clerk, Jim Ozarski. On that fateful morning 11 years ago, he was in his office when Bill Arnold brought him the play-by-play -play of my brash stupidity. Bill came down and he told you about this, and your reaction was what? Well, my number one was to go talk to the alderman. To see where he was at because just to let people in behind the curtain you know you're, you're you run all these things through your head when you head up a department uh, you are on probation which means you don't have city service civil service protections you could be run out of here a lot easier than you know most other people certainly for cause we can't fire you because we don't like the cut of your jib but you, you know that would have been cause now i didn't want to i believe in people making mistakes and fixing them but I wanted to take the temperature in the room before I responded. So I went over and I spoke to the alderman and, and he and I are friends, have been for many, many years. Uh, even though he's no longer a council member, he's, he's, he remains a friend. And we had a very blunt, honest conversation like friends do that broke into two halves. Uh, the first half of which was, nah, it, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. But the other half was, maybe Dusty should realize that he should think before he speaks and take a better temperature of the room. Know who he's talking to. I think that was a, a pretty important moral of the story for me. Uh, uh, one of a few that I took away, but I definitely can say that I went home that night thinking to myself, I got about a 50-50 shot of having a job on Monday. And so to hear that I was in fact that close to actually being summarily and, and 
rightly dismissed at that point is is not necessarily surprising to me. And it, and and I, and let me be clear: neither Bill nor I wanted that to be the outcome. It, it's it's easy enough when you get a council member to come over and say, well, I don't like this work, or I, I thought this person was this or that. But when they really do cause the foul, then you've really got to deal with it. And uh, fortunately, and we found this out very quickly after Bill brought me the bad news, that he was all right. And that's where Bill and I got together and I said, look, Bill, you go have this conversation with the Dusty. You, you, you got to tell him what happened. And you got to convey from me <laughs> You stepped, like you said, you stepped in it. A plus, holy cow, that thing you did, don't repeat that. But the other thing I wanted to say was is that, look, this can be rehabilitated, and I think that rehabilitation starts very simply with an apology. And don't let it sit, because the one thing I've learned doing this job over the years, not, and it's not just politicians, it's people. They remember offenses. And if you cause an offense, that's one thing. If you acknowledge that offense and seek to make it right, that has a dramatic difference. Not in every case. I won't say in every case. But in most cases I've dealt with, when that's what they remember, is that, oh, he's really screwed up, but then he set about in a sincere way to try to make it right. And that sounds banal, but, well, at least in my line of work, it amazes me how many people don't get, and, and this is, you know, not just because you got a mic in front of my face, but this is the one thing I give you a lot of credit for. You acknowledge you made a mistake. It amazes me how many people in 2019 don't understand the importance of that in getting something straightened. They will come up with reasons. They will rationalize. They'll make excuses. They will say this. They will say that. And there are things you could have said. I didn't know. He was being unreasonable. That is a crazy position. I, you could have said a lot of things. You didn't say any of those things. You acknowledge the problem, and it's just, I'm serious. I think in the majority of cases, that isn't the response I get. For me, it's just such a a big part of my upbringing. You know, when I screwed up as a kid, I wasn't allowed to continue living my life until I fully faced up to the fact that I stepped in it. I don't know. I, 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 it was pretty apparent to me in that moment that I was way out of line. Uh, It was part of a learning process for me, and, and that was a very jarring uh, aspect of that. But I think I also underestimated in my own young hotshot way at that point what a cutthroat environment city hall and politics in general can be. I mean, it, it probably suffices to say that people have been fired over less in this building. Do you think that if I had run my mouth like that in front of some other prominent politician under this roof that the reaction would have been the same and that I might have survived that? Well, I I don't know if it would have been the same. It could have been very different. I mean, there's every chance you could have gotten screamed at. We've had that happen. You and I have our hands on a wooden desk right now. Folks can't see that. But this used to be a glass table. And uh, that glass table was broken by a council member who was so mad that he punched it and had a ring on his hand, and it cracked the glass straight through. You know, and the question is, would and there's a lot of what ifs, you know, would would Dusty have kept his temper, even though he's had somebody screaming and a spittle flecked rant in your face? Ultimately, and I think it bears mention that this is a city service environment. Look, it's political. It's city Hall rain is a political event, but there's still a protection for staff, even in the face of mistakes. And in my experience, my personal experience, I can't talk to everyone. I have never 
had a council member ask me to fire someone. I've asked them to discipline someone, and I have at their request because they presented facts that merited discipline, but never fired. And I think the incident could have been different. Had you comported yourself differently in the response to that, perhaps it would have been different. But it really does bear mention the fact that you acknowledged it, seemed legitimately sorry about it, and not necessarily because you had the opinion. I was never asking you to feel sorry because you thought that way because you expressed it in the wrong way and you didn't know something, but that you really seem to want to learn from it. I still, in my mind, give a lot of credit to Alderman Bull, Jim Bull, over the way that he handled it because someone who nursed a grudge or held on to misgivings about me could have used that position to at least make me miserable <laughs> uh, in the months that followed. And he really did, even from his immediate response to my apology, just waved it off and brushed it off as as nothing and allowed us to have a reset and eventually not just to develop a really great working relationship, but a really great personal relationship too. I consider him a friend now. And so I think particularly in this very charged, toxic political atmosphere that we hear on the evening news uh, every year in this revolving door approach to politics that's happening in Washington, uh, I look back at the way that he responded to that and almost chuckled to myself and say, gosh, that's quaint. Gosh, he's a good guy. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is, it is, you know, and every one of them responds differently. But I, I will also say many of those that I've served will keep account of how they view your competence. All of them, in my experience, are willing to understand an error of, what would we say, language in error of misreading a room, things like that. That's, that's more forgivable. And, I, and I, I like that. I really do, because I think it should ultimately come down to what you can and cannot do. And hopefully you learn to figure out how to do it. Vince Lombardi said, errors, mistakes, and humiliations are all necessary steps in the learning process. Once they have served their purpose, they should be forgotten and not repeated. Former Milwaukee Alderman Jim Bowl exemplified that credo in his reaction to my indiscretion. That job at City Hall, which he could have taken from me on that day, was a crucial development opportunity in my career. And I've been grateful to Jim ever since then. But I never had the opportunity to tell him that until our sit-down four years ago. You know, there were, there were a couple of reasons that I wanted to have this discussion with you, um, because... I don't know if you can tell. It is still, even to this day, a mildly uncomfortable discussion for me to have. <laughs> Why so? Why so? We've we've known each other on positive terms. I think just about every day since that point here. So <laughs> there's a clink of the beer bottles. I think it is important to note that in spite that this happened, we went on to have five very productive years working together, and you came to be not only one of the elected officials that I respected and liked the most, I think we became friends as yes, well. Yes, absolutely. And, <laughs> um, and so, yes, when you take tragedy and add time, it becomes comedy. And that is one of the reasons that I wanted to tell this story. But the other reason that I wanted to tell this story is because I think that it is an important parable about leadership and about allowing people the leeway to screw up and making sure that they learn a lesson but then allowing them to continue on and become better people because they learned that lesson and better professionals. You know what? I, I, I'm glad here that I didn't pound down and tell Bill 
you know what? This guy sh- overshot himself today. Get rid of him. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm very glad of that. Because <laughs> you were you were a tremendous asset to that office. Well, thank you, Jim, for not having me fired on the spot on September 7th, 2012. And uh, thanks for being a role model to other leaders and other young people coming up underneath you as well. Um, in a political world that is sometimes increasingly dark and savage and mean. Jim, I've got one last surprise for you. And that's coming up after the break. All right, are you ready for your surprise? Okay. All right, I've got a little intro here. i got to read it. (laughs) So, former Milwaukee Alderman Jim Bull, I promised you one last surprise. I was a young hotshot who walked into your office and stupidly, recklessly insulted you to your face. (laughs) And I think that there are a few morals to this story. I think that you've modeled an excellent sense of humor about the whole thing. I think that's an admirable trait. I also think it's important for leaders, especially elected officials, to practice forgiveness instead of treating politics as a blood sport. But, of course, the most important moral of this story is the lesson that I learned the hard way. And that is to not run your mouth like a stupid hotshot. Not assume you know everything that's going on. To learn the environment, read the room, and to recognize that there's a certain decorum that cannot be ignored when you're the low man on the totem pole. And so to celebrate this lesson that I've learned again and again and again in my career, I have for you a copy of my original letter of apology. Of which I will now perform a dramatic reading for your enjoyment. Ask me how I got it. Oh, how did you get it? I foiled it. <laughs> I filed an open records request with Jim Ozarski asking him to go back and find the letter of apology that I wrote to him. So, he was quite delighted. Uh, so this is from Dustin Weiss, sent Friday, September 7th, 2012 at 9.48 a.m. <laughs> almost so I hadn't that. even had my second <laughs> cup of coffee, and it I'd almost like already been fired. You better get on that right away here, Dusty, or you're not going to last more than, than noon here. <laughs> Absolutely, that was his advice. <laughs> Two, James Bull, subject, and apology. Hi, Alderman Bull, comma. I want to apologize again for my remarks in your office this morning. I'm in the middle of a pretty big career transition here from a realm where information is gathered and disseminated at the speed of light to one in which sometimes a little forethought goes a long way. I sometimes have a bad habit of running my mouth, and this is clearly a case in which I hadn't done my homework. I was out of line, and I'm sorry. Bill really took me to the woodshed, comma, (laughs) and I can assure you that I have a new perspective on how I am to approach my interactions with you and other members of the council. I can tell you now, just between us, Bill dictated that last line to me. (laughs) Especially the part about him taking me to the woodshed. (laughs) Very sincerely. This will sound really good, trust me. I've been around here for 18 (laughs) years already here. (laughs) Very sincerely, Dusty. And four minutes after I sent that, you responded. If you want to read your response to me right there. Oh my goodness here. Thanks, Dustin. All is good. Life is full of lessons that we all learn, all of us, that comes uh, with making mistakes and hopefully improving from them. My wife constantly has to remind me of how many I make. 
take on the weekend, JB. <laughs> As I told you, the one thing that I do remember is my wife has to constantly remind me of, of the need for my own humility. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for uh, joining me today. It's been a pleasure, and uh, thanks for your help and hand along the way in my career my, my as well. My pleasure here. Thanks, and, Jim. And it was, a, it was a great lesson and a great friendship and uh, great colleagues here to that. So, Cheers. Cheers. Thanks are due as well to my old boss, Bill Arnold, and to his boss, Milwaukee City Clerk Jim Ozarski, for putting up with me for those five years. Thanks also to Ken Leviska for helping me tee up this story. Our fourth season is winding down here on Lead Balloon, but do make sure that you're subscribed in your favorite podcast app because I have a doozy of a follow-up that's going to blow some minds when it finally drops. Short version, I talked to someone interesting three years ago. I thought they were pretty cool at the time. And since we talked, they've become the driving force behind something very high profile, very sinister, and very weird. Oh yeah, this is going to be a trip here, guys. Also, check out the PodCamp Media YouTube feed. We did a video version of our last episode, and it kind of took off, actually. So I'm going to be doing a lot more of that kind of stuff in the future as well. PodCamp Media YouTube feed. Make sure you're subscribed there. Blood Balloon is produced by PodCamp Media, where we provide branded podcast production services for businesses. Our podcast studios are located in the heart of beautiful downtown Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We're not recording it in my basement anymore, but we do work with brands all over North America. PodCampMedia.com Music for this episode by Brightseed, Tide Electric, Fairlight, Isaac, Joel, Alter Ego, and Abloom. And until the next time, folks, thanks for listening. I'm Dusty Weiss.